With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. This is James Altucher here for the James Altucher Show, and it's a very special show today. Uh, it's not going to be any guest. It's just going to be Aaron Brabham and myself talking about why you should not send your kid to college. Or if you happen to be 18 years old and listening to this, that you can think of it as it's about why you should not go to college. This is a very important topic right now. Every kid is getting accepted to college basically this month or rejected or whatever. So a lot of big decisions are happening. And I want to help people not make one of the most wrong financial decisions you can make in your life. So with that said, welcome, Aaron, to the show. You're going to be my devil's advocate. That's exactly right, James. Thank you so much. Uh, it's good to be here as always. You know, this is one of those topics that we get a ton of feedback on at James at StansberryRadio.com. Anybody can send us feedback there. Also, you get hit on your uh, Twitter Q&A a lot for this. And usually it's from the younger listeners out there, the ones that are feeling pressured to go to college. Uh, by their parents because they think that that is the right thing to do. I went to college. I got a political science degree, completely worthless. But uh, I do see a lot of positives for college. So I've done a ton of research, James, and I'm going to challenge you as the devil's advocate because let's act as if we're selling this program to uh, two Ph.D. parents that believe that college is the only way to go. All right, that's great. I like I like the challenge. All right, so uh, first let's define what we're talking about here. We're talking about uh, undergraduate, four-year. We're talking about grad school. We're talking about gap years. What are we talking about here? Okay, the main thing I want to talk about is that kids should not go to undergraduate college. And that, on average, it takes somebody five years to graduate undergraduate college. So basically we're talking about the precious years of 18 years old to 23 years old and all the reasons why they should not go to college, particularly during that period. Uh, but also I want to add, and maybe if we have time, we could talk about it. I don't, I think most grad schools are worthless. I don't think kids should go to graduate school. And I actually think most high schools are worthless after a certain point. So, but, but let's not go crazy here. Let's just talk about college. Kids, kids should not go to college, particularly in today's day and age, 2014. Okay. That sounds good to me. So, you know, why you, look, you went to college. Um, I did. We, we turned out okay. Why do you feel strongly about this? Why have you been beating this drum? Well, you know, I, I, I want to address later, you know, whether or not I turned out okay from okay, college. Yeah. Like that's, that's an assumption that I, I'm not sure is, is correct. Um, but that, you know, is part of my reasons for not going to college is I obviously were experienced at what happens in college. Mm -hmm. So people often say to me, Oh, it's easy for you to say you went to college. Now you don't want anybody else to go to college, blah, blah, blah. But you know, I saw what happened in college. You saw what happened in college. It's not a big secret. 
you know, how much of it is a waste and how much of it is worthwhile. So, but we could talk about that in a bit because I think there's other important reasons to address first. Uh, One is the massive debt load that students carry now as opposed to when you and I went to college, Aaron, or even, you know, I first started writing about this about 10 years ago. I wrote a column in the Financial Times, Why You Shouldn't Send Your Kids to College, and I got so much hate mail, it was ridiculous. Like, this was almost like, I might as well go to uh, the, the center of Times Square and say, you know, Allah is Satan or something. Mm-hmm. It, it's the same thing. If, I, if you go to the center of Times Square and say, kids shouldn't go to college, you'll get, you'll get hung up and crucified. It's the American religion that kids should go to college. This is part of how we standardize the American workforce. And the reality is that because of these kind of weird incentives to go to college that exist, the debt load that people are willing to undertake, that young people and their parents are willing to to have is ridiculous. I mean, this level of student loan debt now is over a trillion Dollars. So for the first time ever this past year. So you're, you're sending kids to college and then they're graduating with this debt that they're never going to be able to pay back. Like they're going to take some underpaying jobs because we know how income is going down versus inflation for the past 30 years in a row. They're going to take underpaying jobs. The, the job situation is going to get worse and worse. They're going to be afraid to take risks because they have this debt to pay back. You can't, in most cases, get rid of this debt through bankruptcy. So you're just stuck. You're like chained to the master. And the master is the banking system and the government. And in some cases, your parents. And in some cases, your jobs or your factories or wherever you're working. So you're, you're just you're just chained to the system because you have this massive debt load to pay back. And it's just really sad. Like I've never in history have 23 year olds been put under this kind of stress and and pressure. It's no longer, you know, it's no wonder that there's this statistic, uh, kids on average, how many times per day do you think a kid laughs? Um, well, I, happen to know because i read your blog posts and i listen oh, to your podcast yeah sorry read your blog and i listen to your podcast uh because i participate on those but it's funny ever since you wrote this i have iterated this to everybody i know and it baffles their mind so go ahead james from from uh the child to the adult uh give the stats because they're mind-blowing yeah, so the average child, and I don't know how they define it, but let's assume like a ten-year-old laughs. Oh, I don't even. I don't, I don't even know. I don't think I'd even go up to ten. I think uh, by then so many are damaged. Let's say yeah. five, zero to five. Zero to five. They they, they laugh on average three hundred times a day. The average adult. Uh, laughs and just think about yourself and think about the people you know. The average adult laughs just five times a day. And the worst year, um, is age 40, apparently. Like, actually, things get better after age 40. Like, people at age 98, if you live to 98, you're pretty happy again. So, so. Uh oh, you know what happens to me, uh, June 10th this year? 40. Does that mean I'm gonna quit laughing for a year, but then it'll get better? Well, the, the, the good and the bad news is that's going to be the worst year of your life. So okay. after that, it's all, it's all better after that. I think it's I've already part. laughed four times during this podcast so far, so I'm still doing well. Well, you know, stick with me. And I, I try to stick to the, the 300 times a day to get back to that. But, but, you know, I think part of the problem is like what happens between the time that we're a child and the time that we're adult? Well, one of the things is we start to get into debt mm-hmm. and now we get into more debt than ever. And, it, again, it's not like there's any incentives to educate 
children about this because if the government and the banks are charging you a trillion dollars, they're making a lot of money. I mean, the average interest rate on student loans is somewhere between six and seven percent now. And so banks in general are, you know, are, are basically borrowing money at zero percent from the government and then they're lending out to you, backed by the government, at seven percent. So students are being railroaded into this banking and government scam and they, their hands are chained behind their back. So it's, this is really the most important thing, that the incentives are aligned totally against the 18-year-old, but their parents and their peers and their guidance counselors and their teachers and their future employers who have already been through the college system don't know this. And so that's what makes it scary for the 18-year-old. Like everybody is against them if they want to make the decision not to go to college. So, so I mean, there's lots of other reasons, but that's the most important. Another one is, you know, opportunity cost, which you learn in Economics 101, which is that it's not only the cost of your college education that's important. So, you know, depending on where you where you go, your costs are going to be anywhere from like, you know, forty thousand over four years to five hundred thousand over four years. So, let's say on average, you know, most kids, uh, you know, spend between one and two hundred thousand during their four or five years in college. That's not their true cost. Their true cost is that plus what they could have earned if they didn't go to college. So, you know, during those five years, they could have built a skill or built a set of skills or built a set of experiences or had some kind of education or they could have worked that would have made them more money uh, or allowed them to save money. So you have to add that to the cost of college to get your true cost. So, you know, and again, uh, the true cost of college is not just your tuition. It's your tuition plus the interest on the trillion dollars that you're going to have to pay over the course of 40 years. So if your education was $100,000 and it's 7% interest, then, you know, your, your true cost of college could be three, $400,000. It just gets ridiculous. Uh, and it's scary. Again, 18 year olds aren't trained to do the math. They're discouraged from doing the very basic math to figure out what their true cost is. And, you know, those are really the, the two most important reasons. But then someone could say, well, is it really all just about money? That's a t uh, very typical argument I get. It's not just about money, but we can, you know, we'll get into some of the yeah, other things. I have, I, have, I have some questions that I can fire at you, James, that uh, I believe that college adds, um, you know, a lot of different experiences that uh, an 18 year old probably should experience of course this is me playing devil's advocate oh okay yeah yeah so what, I would, I would, what, i'd like to get your opinion on experience this. in college okay all right elsewhere. all right first first of all before i get to that you know i'm laughing at the at the trillion dollar student loan debt there's nothing funny that, about that at all but it reminded me of my first day that i was on college campus as a freshman and i went to go eat at you know one of their um cafeteria things right Lo and behold, there's a picket fence of credit card companies out there just with their pitch saying, you know what? It's time. You're an adult. You need to build your credit. Apply for all of these. And guess what? You get approved for all those. So it's not even just a, the student loan debt, but it's all the foolish credit card debt you'll pay off for the rest of your life. All right. Oh, my God. You're, you're totally right. And, you know, the reason I forget to talk about that is I'm six years older than you. And that's <laughs> college students weren't getting credit cards in like 1986, 87. So you know what I did? I started a 
debit card company at my college. So I would, I wrote to all the kids' parents and said, if you send me money and I'll put it in a bank account, I'll give your kid a card and you'll get a statement every month from me uh, about where your kid is spending your money. And I had a, and it was $21 I think it's a, great a semester idea. to it's- join my car, charge card and it worked. I had about 800 or 900 signups and it was a little business that I ran for a while. And, but then I called uh, MasterCard at the time and they were interested in buying the company. I was just like, you know, 19 years old and I didn't sell it and we ended up going out of business, but it was an experience. I think I was, I think I triggered the thought to MasterCard like, hmm, this might be a business opportunity for well, us. Well, they, they capitalized on me. And let me tell you something, James. Uh, college would totally be worth every single penny if I somehow had landed you as a roommate instead of uh, the nerdy band guy that I had as my roommate that was absolutely worthless. And he reminded me of the character Pat on Saturday Night Live. But forget that. All right. Let's let's get into the real meat of it. Right. All right, James, I'm going to fire some questions uh, at you. And, um, I, you know, I want you to really try to combat these. So first thing is, uh, I believe College is a good place to learn to be socialized. Well, okay. So it's clear that 18-year-olds want to be around other 18-year-olds. And a lot of the 18-year-olds that might be in your peer group are going to be going to college at the age of 18. So you will, you know, have a chance to meet with and hang out with, you know, people your age if you go to college and, and learn how to be social with them and so on. But here's my comeback. First off, my kids... As, as whether they're nerdy or not nerdy or whatever, my kids, you know, know how to make friends to some extent. Uh, they know how to make friends among their peer group. They're not, uh, you know, so one of my kids has best friends. The other kid has, you know, more wider group of friends. It's not as if they need to go someplace where I'm going to spend $200,000 for them to learn how to make friends. It doesn't cost $200,000 to learn how to make friends. And it's not as if every other place in the world doesn't have 18-year-olds. So there's, there's many opportunities. For instance, if you travel around the world, there are many people from 18-year-olds from all over the world who are traveling around. Now you can argue, well, it costs money to travel around the world. True, but it doesn't cost $200,000 in five years. So again, you can make a network and friendships for life just by thinking about what your alternatives are. Your, your, your choice to be socialized, you don't have just one choice. It's not just college. There's probably a hundred choices and we can go through some of them later in the, in the podcast, but there's probably a hundred choices where you can learn to be socialized. And probably the worst of those choices is the choice that says, Oh, give me $200,000 and, uh, I'll maybe help you make some friends. Fair enough. You know how many friends I still have from college, uh, and I was in college for many years at different colleges? How many? Zero. Yeah, um, you know, it's the same thing for me. Like, I was looking at my Facebook friends. I have one – so I have, like, 5,000 Facebook right. friends. I have one friend from college that is my Facebook friend. I have, like, 50 friends from high school that are my Facebook friends. How come college I have none? Well, maybe I was a weirdo jerk all of a sudden. But the reality is, you know, college pushes you so hard, and uh, I don't know. It just wasn't fun for me. Like, 
I don't know, but that's... Yeah, okay. That's well, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a win for that one, okay? And by the way, something to go back even further, when you put a bunch of little kids together that don't understand prejudices or, you know, any racial tensions or socioeconomic factors, they get along great and they make friends and they share and it's only the parents that ruin them. So I'm going to agree with you. You win that one. I got another one for you. Oh, oh you know, yeah. and just to add to this socialized thing is kind of the big elephant in the room. What do kids really do in college? You know, they, they don't party. spend most of their time <laughs> cracking open a book. No. Okay. They basically have sex and drink a lot of alcohol. Yes. And I have nothing against that. You know, sex is enjoyable, alcohol, <laughs> whatever, you'll get over it. Uh, you know, maybe. Uh, but you don't, again, it does, you don't need to go $200,000 in debt or $50,000 in debt or whatever, uh, to have sex and to drink alcohol. You could do that on your own without spending that kind of money. All right, I've got I've got another one for you here, um, and I still believe this one actually. College is the last chance to learn about the arts and culture and history, and uh, you know anything that is all forgotten in high school these days in junior high because they're so focused on passing these state tests, James, that they literally have abandoned all liberal arts. How? Is somebody actually going to be exposed to that? And don't tell me, go down to the library and read a book, because they're not going to do that. Okay, good question, and I get this question a lot. First off, I agree with you that high school, you know, books like The Old Man in the Sea is just wasted on a high school student. Like, they can't, I, I myself cheated my way through high school just because these books were so boring. I would get the Cliffs notes, you know, what was then kind of the cheat sheet on all these books because I, I didn't have the, the focus or the interest in learning all these things. Now you could say, oh, well, that could explain a lot that you didn't, that you cheated, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. No, I just wasn't interested. I was interested in other things. And like you said, uh, you know, high school was so boring because they're, they, they try to turn you into this little standardized robot that, you know, so you get, you know, chained to the system all that much more easier. Um, I'll tell you, my kids right now are taking their standardized tests and I had to call up the school and make sure they're actually not taking the test because you're allowed to opt out. They don't tell the kids that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And, uh, and so what happens is my kids have to go to class and they're, they actually have to sit at the desk while the test is, you know, the test is put in front of them and they have to say, I refuse to take this. And they just have to sit there for three hours while the test goes on. Of course, they have to get, they get ostracized by the other students who don't understand because their parents didn't study enough to know that they could refuse it. Exactly. And so, so, okay. So is college the last chance to learn about the arts? Two answers. One is I still don't think I was ready at the college ages of ages 18 to 22 to really appreciate culture and the arts. Now that's just me. Other kids might be at the right age to appreciate it. But I will say just from my own experience, I became obsessively interested in the arts probably from the ages of 24 to now. Uh, I mean, I, at the age of 24 or 25, I obsessively wanted to become a novelist and then I wanted to make TV shows and so on. So I was really heavily into, you know, both culture and pop culture and the arts and the not so arts. And, uh, I would read constantly. I would go to every bookstore. I would go to the library. So I really would go to the library and I would read every book I could find, every book that I neglected to read in high school and college. I read and 
I learned a lot. I still remember all of these books that I read and everything that I learned from them. And I would read the commentary and the criticism. When I was forced in college to read some of these things, I wouldn't remember. And there's a statistic. They've done studies. Kids don't remember a, a class lecture 45 minutes after they've left the lecture. They don't remember a single fact from the lecture. And I test this out sometimes. I'll, I'll give a talk and I'll say, tell me when Charlemagne was born. And nobody, we all learn this in high school and college, when Charlemagne, one of the greatest kings of European history over the past 1,000 years, we all learn about him, but nobody remembers within 500 years of when he was born. And to be honest, I've given so many talks on this, but yet right now I can't even remember when he was born. Well, but even, I, And also, uh, I just had three people like my Instagram. Come on, James. What's more important, when Charlemagne ruled or when uh, my Instagram showed my the girl that I'm interested in? Well, well, well that's a really good point, actually. P- people focus on what they're interested in right now. And so if you're not really interested in the culture and the arts when, when you're tw- you know 20 years old, but you're forced to take a class on it, you're not going to remember anything. And you're certainly not going to remember anything of value that you use later in life. So my answer really is you're going to learn about that stuff when you're ready for it. And it's going to happen in a very natural and organic way. And by the way, if you're never interested in it, you're never going to learn about that those things, whether you take classes or not. So again, don't throw money out the window to take these classes when all that information really is for free, particularly now we have this wonderful thing called the Internet that we didn't have, you know, even even 10 years ago, we didn't have the resources that that kids have now to learn about that stuff for free. Yeah, I will uh, go ahead and chalk up another point for you on that. And I'm going to win every point. Well, I, I know. Well, and well, it's well, you know, I'm playing devil's advocate, but All I'm right, thinking back. Enough. I'm paying back to my uh, days. You know, I had uh, I started as an economics major, then I went to a psych major, then I went to political science, and uh, but the funny thing is, the thing that I that you know me well, the thing that I'm obsessed with is people's behavior human behavior and psychology really was my true love i just didn't know it at the time because i didn't care about books or studying i only cared about the girls and drinking as you said okay third one let me tell you like i started off as a psychology major okay i really wanted to be a psychologist and and you love psychology every single thing you write about is based on psychology now exactly and and i i loved it like i read every book i could find on it and i took this class psych 101 it had two thousand students in it and we would get these multiple choice tests and I wouldn't, I read so many books on psychology, I figured, okay, I know what I'm doing here. But it turned out he, the t- professor was giving the same test every year. So most of the kids knew this and were just cheating because they had the test from the, and the answers from the prior years. I didn't know that. And I ended up with a D minus in Psych 101. And I literally wasn't allowed to major in it after that. Like my, my dream of being a psychologist was, was dashed. I had to switch majors. You know what I didn't have on my list, but I just thought of this. Um, here's a hindrance for kids going to college. It's called a tenured professor. Because what do tenured professors do or don't do? They don't care anymore for the most part. They give the same test year in and year out. Yeah, exactly. And a tenured professor also, you know, he basically depends on the system not collapsing. Right. He's got a job for for He's 30 (laughs) years old and he has a job secured for the next 40 years. But if people start to question the system now, then his job might not last 
40 years. You know, if the school goes out of business like a school could, then a tenured professor is in trouble. So they don't have any reason or motive to educate kids on what their choices are other than college. So and, and co college professors have been the most, I would say, even violent about disagreeing with me. I mean, I, I don't want to say I've gotten death threats from college professors. I've actually gotten death threats from students, but I've gotten close to death threats from professors. All right, let me uh, let me get back to being the devil's advocate. It's so hard because I do agree with you so far. Uh, all right, here's one that might be a little tougher to overcome. I'd like to see you uh, figure this one out. Lots of studies have shown you get paid more if you go to college. Yeah, so uh, the, 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 there's one study, and I've actually written about this, um, wrote about this a year or so ago. There's one study that Georgetown did called the College Payoff, and, and the reason I remember it is because they actually mentioned me, and they, they kind of justify the whole purpose of them doing this study is because some guy named James Altucher is trashing the notion of going to college. So they basically, quote-unquote, proved that if you go to college uh, – that 20 years later, you're going to be making a lot more money than if you didn't go to college. Bam. They had all the stats and everything. And so my response was, you know, A, why did you mention me? It's not really that, that important <laughs> that you mentioned me. B, uh, you're a college, so obviously you're really biased on – you know, having people go to college, like why not hire? If you're really interested in proving this, why not hire an independent agency to, to do this study? Because C, if anybody who had done this study had taken statistics 101 in your college, they would have seen that your numbers are all wrong. And I explained where their numbers went wrong. They didn't have a control group. They just took, you know, let's say a thousand kids who didn't go to college and a thousand kids who did and compared their salaries 20 years later. That's the wrong study. You have to take kids. You have to take uh, here. I'll construct the study that will work. So take 2000 kids. All of them are accepted to Harvard. All right. Now, for 1000 of them, randomly, you tell them you can't ever go to college. You can't go to Harvard and you can't ever go to college again. And then 20 years later, compare both groups because they're both going to be equally motivated, equally ambitious. They're going to, because you randomize it, they're going to come from, um, you know, varying in income backgrounds. And that's a true study to see what the effect of college is on income. You know, they, they didn't do that. They didn't have a control group. They, you know, the type of kid who went to college 20 years ago probably came from a higher income family, probably came from a better, you know, maybe a, a prep school or a high school that costs money or whatever. Uh, you know, and the kids who didn't go to college probably came from, you know, poor areas or, or, you know, their parents didn't go to college. There's so many things that you have to control for in a study like this that all of these studies, 100% of these studies don't control for because I don't know why, because they have incentives to, to not control for these things. So it just doesn't work. I actually gave a talk about this study and the very first question someone asked and it was a, a graduate of the college I was speaking at, um, the very first question someone asked in the Q&A was, well, what about these studies that show uh, that college students, um, you know, get paid more 20 years later? Uh, and I said, well, didn't you just listen to my last 20 minutes of this talk? <laughs> right. like, that's what that's what how college students pay attention now. He was checking his Instagram. Yeah, exactly. Well, he, he had more important things to do than listen to me, which right. is very true. So, uh you know, again, that those studies are really awful because I would argue that 
the type of person who gets accepted to Harvard but then chooses not to go to Harvard will actually accomplish so much during that five-year period or four-year period that he'll go on to make millions more than his peers who, who waste the most valuable years of their lives going to five courses a semester of BS they're not even interested in. Yeah, I have two uh, two things. So how much does Harvard hate the fact that their biggest dropouts are billionaires that have had the greatest ideas in the world? And um, I mean, that's got to be a stinger, right? It's like yeah, uh, raising Gates, your hand and saying, yeah, exactly. Raising your hand and saying, F college, I'm walking away. And now look at me. This is fantastic. That's not really a good testimonial for the institution, right? Well, well, Andy Samberg, you know, the, the comedian yes. gave uh, the Harvard commencement speech last year and or the Harvard class speech or whatever. And he basically said, you know, he pointed this out like uh, Harvard is really well known for all these people who drop out <laughs> and become billionaires. And then he looked at the audience. So pretty much a guarantee if you're sitting here in the audience now, you're going to be a failure. Right. I and, love uh, that. You know, the, the students all laugh, but he, he's making kind of an interesting point. I'll give you another example that's really interesting. Um, my 12 year old daughter and I were watching the comedian Bo Burnham. Uh, he's a young guy, 23 years old. And, or maybe he's, he was 22 when he made his last show that we were watching. And, uh, it was a brilliant, brilliant show. Like within five or 10 minutes, I said to her, this guy is one of the biggest geniuses I've ever seen. Like it was brilliant what he was doing with, with comedy. And she said to me, I bet he went to college. So she's 12 years old mm-hmm. and she's always playing the devil's advocate uh, to me. And, uh, cause she's wondering about these issues and she hears me talk about it a lot. And I said, okay, I bet you there's no way that he would be able to do at this age, 22, a show so complicated and so filled with genius if he had just spent the past four years going to college. So we looked it up and it was actually hard to find. It was it, it was buried in a Reddit uh, AMA that he did. Turns out he applied to college. He got accepted to college, but he but he turned it down and his parents were very supportive of him turning down. And he, and he didn't go to college at all. The college that accepted him that he turned down, Harvard. So, mm. you know, it's very interesting. There's, there's many examples. My, so she found another person. My 12 year old found another person. She was trying, she was very upset she lost this bet. And I, I'm of course very much encouraging my kids to be gamblers. So she, she pointed me out to this woman, Michelle Fon on YouTube. Uh, Michelle's got uh, 5 million subscribers. Uh, she's 20, about 24 or 25 years old. Uh, uh, she's probably worth about 20, 30 million dollars now just because of her YouTube videos, which have had hundreds of millions of views. And my daughter says, uh, she probably went to college. And I said, I don't think so. And my daughter even mentioned the college. And I said, no, we looked it up on Wikipedia. No, that turns out that's a high school. So we don't, we don't know for sure, but we'll find out because, uh, I'm pretty sure Michelle's going to come on this podcast in a few months. So, uh, when she has a book coming out. So, so get ready for that and we'll find out if, if she went to college or not. So I could beat my 12 year old in this bet. All right. I like that. Uh, one more thing that I'll add in. So, um, my ex girlfriend, she decided to go to law school. Uh, a little bit later in life. And, um, 
you know, I was, you know, transitioning over to work at Stansbury a couple of years ago. So I was armed with the knowledge that college is a complete waste of time and money. And I tried to convince her by sending her articles, just let her do her own due diligence. And something that you talked about, you know, we're kind of talking about the studies that show that if you went to college, if you don't, well, don't be fooled by the studies. And you alluded to this, that the college does because their guidelines are so loose. As you said, it's a terrible way to study it. So, for example, law schools, they chronically lean on their uh, within the first six months or a year. Uh, how many people that graduated their law program are employed. But it doesn't mean that you're working at a law firm and they don't report on the people that they can't find. So tell me how good those stats are of 95%, right? Uh, I mean, all the stats, like law, law school in particular is a total scam. Like I won't even, it's a total I can't even scam. get into that. Like I've I've sold three companies and and gotten a divorce and done all sorts of things that require lawyers. I've never once hired a lawyer for for any of these things. Uh, so I, I you don't need to go to law school to learn like the basics of law. Like I suppose if you're gonna, if you're going to uh, a judge, you're being indicted for something. You need a lawyer just because a, a judge is a lawyer, so he's only going to listen to another lawyer. He's not going to listen to you. But uh, in general, lawyers are are. Uh, I don't want to say a total waste. They're usually pretty smart and good at putting deals together. But for basic things, you don't need any kind of lawyer at all. But uh, yeah, I've yeah, never yeah. seen any kind of statistical analysis of college that has actually been done statistically correct. Yeah, by the way, I uh, spoke to her recently and um, she <laughs> told me, she goes, now I'm 199 grand in debt. And, uh, you know, she's looking at 7% interest rates. And uh, she's like, I don't know why I didn't just become a paralegal and stay debt free because I would be doing much better on a net basis. And I'm like, mm, I just kept my mouth shut. So, all right, fine. Well, and not only that, like there's so many ways where you can serve the function of a lawyer sure. and charge a lot of money and then only hire a lawyer at the very last minute to, to dot all the I's, which, to be fair, that's what I did in, in these cases. Like for my divorce, I wrote up. The divorce agreement and then just hired a lawyer to essentially be the secretary to mm -hmm. kind of take, take it through the court system. Cause who, who needs to do that? I, I just needed a glorified secretary to do that. Pretty, pretty much. Okay. So we agree a JD is a waste of time. Fine. Fine. Throw that out. Uh, but here's one. I was in a near fatal car accident. As you know, I am, I believe I am only here because I had the best doctors in the world at, uh, the Houston Medical Center. And uh, I personally wouldn't have wanted somebody operating on me that didn't have an MD from a fine institution in the U.S., preferably. That's my opinion as somebody who's been through all this. James, would you let someone operate on you without an MD? Well, let me change the question a little bit, and it'll, be the, it'll end up being the same question, but just word it okay. a little bit differently. Would you rather have somebody... Let's say you just had your car accident and okay. you're being wheeled into the operating room and you're given a choice. Person A doesn't have an MD, never went to college, but has done 10,000 surgeries like the one you're about to have. The other person just got his Harvard MD and he's very proud and this will be his first operation. I'm just I'm taking it an extreme. OK, OK. okay. All right. But, but I'm asking you the same question. What would your answer be? Well, my answer would always be the person with more experience now. The, but the, the, the hospital that I was that was a teaching hospital. So you had like the uh, the head 
person overseeing the young people, but I still didn't want any of those young people touching me. And I, I was very vocal about that as well as my family, which was, uh, he's not a guinea pig. He's not an experiment. You don't allow the residents to operate on this kid. Right. So, so, you know, it's a very, that's a very interesting topic because the, because obviously the only way you can operate on someone just by law is to in, have, uh, yeah, medical, is to have a medical right. degree. So no, I wouldn't want somebody to illegally operate on me, but I do think the system could be constructed to actually make it, uh, uh easier for be- people to become doctors and actually become more qualified as doctors. Like right now, uh, an MD is no longer the highest paid profession and there's so much, uh, there's so many, so much litigation against doctors that people who would otherwise be talented healers are opting out of going to medical school and choosing other careers. So I think, you know, this is something where the system is so fractured. I don't know what the real solution is, but where the direction we're heading is we're heading to fewer and fewer doctors who have more and more stresses. I mean, doctor suicide rates are through the roof compared with other professions. And, you know, as you mentioned about your sister being a lawyer, the debt you get, you know, by being uh, getting any of these advanced degrees is humongous because they're, they're under the mistaken belief that they're going to get paid more. But what ends up happening is they actually, because of the debt, they get locked into a job they may no longer want. You know, they might have wanted this job briefly six years earlier, but now they're stuck because of the debt. And so... I don't know. That's a tough question. I, I have to give it to you that I, I obviously want to be operated on by an MD just because it's, it's against the law. Like, I don't want to go to jail by being operated on some. And, and there's no apprenticeship system whereby somebody could have legally operated on somebody uh, 10,000 times without an MD. So that that one we're forced by the law to go along with the system. But it's a shame because it's making a very broken system. Yeah, fair. We sort of need an apprenticeship system to replace it, but nobody's ready for that yet. Yeah, fair enough. And oh, just a small correction, not my sister, because now it almost because I said ex girlfriend earlier, so people will think oh, that oh, I was hey. dating my ex, my sister. Dude, let's just clear that up right now. That stays in. Sorry. Don't don't dare edit that out, Tim. But um, see, I, I here I was. I was listening and focused, and I still got. I that know. I know. You, you were you were check, checking your uh, Q and A from yesterday. Um, your reticular activation system had kicked into high gear all right so um that's fine fair enough and by the way uh you you know what's going to happen you know the trend because you're you're you predict trends as well um you know i got back from uh from thailand last year and i was down the street from the biggest medical tourism hospital in the world in bangkok I would much rather go overseas these days to do any type of surgery for costs, expertise, uh, because all these doctors are fleeing the U.S. to get out from all the horrible insurance, you know, lawsuits and stuff. That's just a side note. Uh, so if things get bad here, I encourage all the listeners out there to, to consider looking overseas for, uh, you know, getting some of these ailments fixed and having surgeries. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I was talking to someone the other day who's buying a lot of real estate in, of all places, Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. And, you know, older people used to uh, retire to Florida, but then they started retiring to Costa Rica. Then they started, when that got too expensive, they started re- retiring to Panama. Now they're retiring to Nicaragua, which you think, whoa, I'm not going to retire there. But the reality <laughs> is uh, state-of-the-art hospitals are being built there. Prices are still cheap. And uh, it's an excellent place to retire to. And worse comes to 
the worst. If you think you can't get the medical care there, we're a short airplane right away. But the reality is you can get better uh, medical care there in general, not for everything, but in general. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Let's get back to the uh, topic. Sorry for my tangent there. Um, all right. So uh, you went to college. Let's talk about your. You got a computer science degree. Is that right? Programming. Yeah, so a very professional degree. Yeah. So I consider like if I were to give advice to an auditorium today, I would say go to school if you want to uh, get a engineering degree, uh, computer science. And something in medical, just because those are the three fields that I believe that you should, you can participate and do these things and get a good job out in the real world. But you have, uh, I read a blog post. Tell us about your experience of what you learned in computer programming and what happened to you when you went and got a job. Well, it's funny because I thought, look, computer science is going to be great. Not only did I love it, I mean, I love programming computers, but I felt no problem. I'll always be able to get a job with this. And the reality is, and I went to, not only did I go to a top school for computer science, I went to a top graduate school for computer science. So I had altogether about five years of computer science education where I took five courses a semester. I took courses in the summers. I was teaching courses. And then I, um, my, my initial jobs out of graduate school were programming, um, by on the college campus. So still within the academic environment. And I was, I felt I was like the best programmer in the world after this. And so then I got a job in the quote unquote real world. Actually, I got a job at HBO, the, the television network. Mm-hmm. And Right away, the the second day I'm on the job, I crashed the entire network and like wiped <laughs> out people's everybody's email at HBO oh. for the day. And then um, the third day, they gave me an assignment, and I just was was very basic, but I was just incapable of doing it. And so I remember walking out of work and going to a payphone and calling my girlfriend at the time uh, and saying, well, I guess that's it for me. They're going to fire me as soon as I go back up and I'm going to have to move back to to Pittsburgh. Nothing wrong with Pittsburgh, but I had just escaped my girlfriend. So I was happy to be in New York City and I wanted it to work out. And uh, so so they, they didn't fire me, luckily, but they said, look, you're kind of incompetent as a computer programmer so we need to send you to remedial computer programming classes and so they did for two months i went to like southern new jersey some facility in southern new jersey to to take these remedial basic programming classes so i could learn how to program on the job and then from there i actually had a very successful career as a programmer but it, only because of those courses for two months nothing from my five years of state-of-the-art Top line, like we're talking the top five schools in the country uh, for computer science. Nothing from there did I apply in the in the work world at all. Yeah, you know, and that is completely the opposite of what I thought it would be, because for me, computer science is uh, voodoo. Like I, I, I can't even understand to the basic level of binary code how you guys get everything to work. Although I've never really actually tried because my interest isn't there. But uh, I would have thought that you would have come in and taught a lot of the senior programmers some new tricks because I would have thought intuitively that you would have been up to date on the newest programming techniques. But it was the complete opposite. Yeah, I mean, look, I knew the latest computer science theory and techniques and, you know, maybe I could have, you know, taken apart a mini computer or whatever and put it back together. But 
you know, the reality is the real world is is not rocket science on the whole. So when you're programming in the real world, you're not really using the latest techniques. You need to be like hardcore, know what know the details of the computers and the operating system that this particular company is using and know the programming environment that this particular company is using and know how to get along with the other programmers and all of these things that they don't really teach you at all in school where they focus more on theory and a little bit on practice, but not practice to such an extent that it's useful in the real world. For instance, you know, I, I there are kids now 12, 13, 14 years old who are mega programmers because of just what they've learned on their own. And they learn that out of passion and love and because there are resources on the internet to teach them and opportunities for them to, to learn and be successful. They don't need to go to once you learn how to program, you don't need to go to college to learn computer science. It's useless. And and there's nothing you're going to learn there that you're going to apply in the in the real world. Okay, I've got one for you. Um you know, all these schools, not all, but, uh, you know, uh, at least 20 or 30 have fantastic research R&D departments, right? So if nobody went to college, uh, what would we do? We wouldn't have Gatorade. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. The, the, wasn't that the, uh, the coach at like t- some <laughs> It was University, yeah, University of Florida, Florida Gators. They invented Gatorade. It's got to be one of the greatest achievements ever. <laughs> yeah, and that came out of did that come out of college? It like did. It, 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 it was it was actually invented to help out their football team by giving them more electrolytes so they wouldn't cramp as much. And then it became this huge thing. But you know, and of course, you know, I'm tongue in cheek about that being one of the greatest inventions. But I'm just doing it as a household name. But there are tons of household names and inventions that have been created out of uh, university. So would we lose a little bit of that? Uh, yes and no. Uh, first, one one anecdote. Uh, I was once at a, a talk where I wasn't speaking for once. I was in the audience, and it was the head of tuitions at Cornell University was explaining a very basic – someone asked a very basic question. Why has tuition gone up faster than inflation for almost 40 years in a row? So not on average, but for every single year for 40 years, tuition costs have gone up faster than inflation. And she said, well, um, you know, it's because it's getting more and more competitive to get good researchers to come work at our school. And I pointed out to my wife who was sitting next to me, uh, notice she didn't say educators. She said researchers. So th- I'm, I'm a just underlining that uh, college Colleges themselves, the administrations themselves, don't care about the education. They care more about what you're referring to, which is the research, because that's how they get funding and, and so on. So they assume that the students are just blindly going to keep showing up like like sheep to, to whatever. So so they don't worry about the students, but they want to get government funding and so on, so they want to do research. But if you look at like every major drug, every major um, – Diagnostics test. You look at kind of the innovations coming out of, uh, you know, these do-it-yourself contests, like get get a rocket ship into space for less than a million dollars or, mm-hmm. or less than ten million dollars, and so on. Uh, these are not coming out of uh, colleges. These are coming out of private enterprise, like. You know, biotech companies are not started in colleges. They're started by people who are scientists and, you know, are already doing the research. Now, do these people have PhDs and have learned in college? Yeah, in some cases. But again, the real billion dollars that are that's spent on the research that gets a drug to market is done in private enterprise, not in 
college. So to, to get any drug to market costs a billion dollars or more. And that uh, that's certainly not happening on, on a college campus. Okay, fair enough. How about this one? Well, uh, although I will say the researchers who work on them might have PhDs from, from colleges. And again, that's just something that's systemic that – uh, you know, 20 years ago, they got their PhDs and that's what people did back then. Now I think there's alternatives that, you know, you can learn the knowledge needed. So you don't need to be to have a PhD to work on state of the art biotech science and other fields of science. Okay. I, right now we have, uh, I don't know, 2000, 20 year olds, 18 year olds, some are in college, some aren't shaking their heads at this podcast because, I know there's one thing that uh, you need to have for a lot of jobs out there because they say it on their um, their process, right, for their uh, their job posting. You need to have a four-year degree. How do you beat that? Yeah, if you want to work in middle management at Procter & Gamble, then you're going to need the four-year degree. If you want to work at Goldman Sachs, then I hate to say it, not only are you going to need a four-year degree, but you're going to need it probably in you know quantum physics and probably from Harvard. And they're going to check your SAT scores as well. You know, it used to be if you wanted to work at Google, you needed to show your SAT scores and your you know all your college records. Now. Uh, Google has just announced they're not asking for GPAs anymore, and a rising percentage of employees at Google uh, don't even have college degrees. So, so some companies are starting to get it that you don't need a college degree. But you're right, Aaron, that some colleges, because the employers themselves went to college, they want to, they, you know, they there's a bias, a cognitive bias that. You know, oh, because I went to college and spent all this money and all this time, it must be correct. So I'm only going to hire people who made the same correct decisions that I did. And so they're only going to hire people with college degrees. So the real key is, and I always get back to this, unfortunately, it's like a broken record, but the real key is to choose yourself because we all know, we all know that the college degree only gets you your first job. After that, nobody will ever, ever again ask you what piece of paper you have in your hand. They're only going to want to know what value you've delivered in your professional career. People get hired in their future parts of their career based on value, not based on a piece of paper they got out of some institution. So yes, for some for, for some jobs, you do need a degree just because that's historically been true. Uh, it doesn't mean that's the correct thing to happen. And I think we are in a transition where more and more people, particularly more incredibly intelligent people are avoiding the college route so so companies are starting to get a little more open towards alternatives but uh you know that we are in transition still and, th and that's going to be a while yeah and I'll, I'll add to that too um which is this i think that getting a four-year degree gives younger people some kind of sense of entitlement to get a job that requires a four-year degree which means they might get an interview, but then they don't prepare properly, whereas somebody who didn't have a four-year degree would feel the need to really study the company and add value to an interview and would head and shoulders uh, be chosen over that other person. So uh, yeah, once that, again, you that's win. That's incredibly important. Like if you prepare and actually solve problems for the company that you're uh, applying to, they're going to hire you. They're not going to say, oh, my God, this this kid just he could potentially make us 10 million more dollars mm -hmm. a year out of profits. Uh, oh, but he doesn't have a degree, so we can't hire him. Like that's not that's going to maybe that'll happen in rare cases, but that's going to happen less and less. And again, 
you know, take uh, – we can always find anecdotes on either side, but take a guy like Louis C.K. Okay, the guy dropped out of high school to be a comedian, but he's one of the smartest people on the planet. Like, are you telling me if he went for a job for some reason – uh, he wouldn't be able to get it because he didn't get a degree. No, there's there's plenty of people now who are using those four years to ed- not only educate themselves, but to put in the sort of well-known 10,000 hours to master something. You know, that, that four or five year period, you can actually become a master of whatever area you love. And by the time you're 22 or 23, you're so far ahead of your peers that you'll be able to make millions of dollars a year, get any job you want, but you probably won't even want one. And because you know how to, you'll know how the world works by that point. And, you know, again, I, I, we're in a world in transition where, where this is starting to happen more and more. Yes, I agree. Okay. You win again. All right. Here's my last one that I've dug deep to try to, to challenge you. Although I'm getting swept here. Um, what about, the 18-year-old who has no freaking idea what they want to do in life, college does give you the opportunity to be exposed to a lot of different types of, of interests. Yes. So if you have no idea what you're going to do, the first piece of advice I would give you is don't immediately spend $200,000 on something you don't know what the outcome is going to be. That's like more money than you've ever spent before. And you know, yeah, 200,000 might be too high. For some people it's 100,000, for some people it's 300, for some people it's 50. But after debt, opportunity cost, expenses, everything, we're talking between 100 and 200,000 dollars for the average person. And just don't spend that money and put yourself into debt if you have no clue what you want to do. So that's my first piece of advice. My second piece of advice is with much less money, start trying things that you might want to do or, or, you know, try different things that are free. Like, I don't know, write a book, go to the library, try painting, try being a stand up comedian, travel, travel a little bit, try to travel as cheaply as possible. Give yourself a budget and try to travel as cheaply as possible. Start a business. There are many businesses you could start with much less money than it would cost to go to college. Like, don't give that money just straight to the college and then the banks and then the government. Use it to build your, your, your network and your personality and your, your experience with failure. Like some, I, I often say to people, you know, become an entrepreneur and, and the parents are the ones who respond to me and say, well, not every kid is meant to be an entrepreneur. And on the one hand, that's sort of true. Not everybody is meant to start a business, but Everybody should go through the experience of, you know, think of all the great things you learn while starting a business. You learn how to come up with ideas. You learn how to execute ideas. You learn how to communicate with people. You learn basic sales. And most, you learn basic negotiation. You learn how to manage people. And most importantly, you learn how to fail. So in college, you never really learn how to fail. Like, I never got an F in college, for instance. I did get a D minus, that Psych 101. But I never failed at anything in college. I didn't start failing really seriously until I was a full-blown adult. And then I was like, what the heck is happening here? I never failed before. It was catastrophic to me to experience failure. I thought I was an all-A student to some extent. And, uh, you know... So to get back to your question, if you're 18 and you don't know what you're going to do, find out what you want to do and what you're interested in first before you spend any money going to, uh, 
you know, going to some place where you're going to get just all this crap thrown at you. And then you have to decide what you're going to do. And you're going to be massively in debt and you're going to be pigeonholed into a cubicle and you're going to be indoctrinated into the system. You don't want to be a robot either. So try to learn from the inside out rather than from the outside in uh, what you want to do. I have, yes. I have one other response to that. So I was talking to a friend of mine, Catherine Schultz, wrote the best-selling book called Being Wrong. Uh, she was arguing with me on this very issue, and she said kids learn how to think in college. And you know, and this was funny because she wrote this book called Being Wrong, which is the, how most of the time we're just wrong about everything we think about. And um, I'm summarizing in a glib way what her book is about, but that was basically it. And uh, you know, again, I said I'm not going to spend. $200,000 or $100,000 for my kids to quote unquote learn how to think. I think, you know, they could probably do that for free. And I, I hope everybody's kid could do that. Okay. Um, yeah, it is pretty ironic, right? That she wrote that book. All right. So what are kids not learning in college? Oh my gosh. I, I could think of, well, the first one is, you know, the kids don't learn how to fail in college, which is I, I just mentioned it. But. I, I told, by the way, I totally agree with that one as well because it's easy to feel a sense of accomplishment because it's really not that difficult to stand out and above your peers um, because it's not as stringent as people make it sound to get into college. And then once you're there, you know, you always have the uh, law of averages takeover. So it's not that difficult. If you show up to class, you have to pay attention. You're going to exceed uh, people's expectations. But that's not what the real world will bring you when you get out. Well, and also don't forget colleges have an incentive to give every single student an A. Like, they, they really do not want to fail kids because A, when you fail kids, the kids could drop out and that's a source of revenue for the colleges. But even more importantly, if, if, if they graduate students with all A's, a good 4.0 GPA, those students will get better jobs because of the way, you know, as we pointed out before, you'll get a better high paying job at Procter and Gamble or some other company if you show a 4.0 GPA instead of a 3.0 GPA. So colleges then want to show incoming students that, hey, it's worth it to spend, you know, 20,000 a semester or whatever it is per semester. It's worth it because then you're going to get all these great jobs like our graduates. So colleges have this weird incentive to actually give everyone A's or B pluses. It was, and, and then I found it was ridiculous. I, one time I took uh, a couple of courses in the business school where I went and I actually didn't even show up for the midterm. And I was just having a really bad year for other reasons. And I, I ended up, I thought I was going to fail the class. I ended up getting a B plus. I didn't show up for the midterm. I probably failed the final. I got a B plus for the class because an MBA program, even more so, which is more useless than any other degree, they really want everybody to get an A so that they could demonstrate, oh, you're going to make a lot of money if you if you spend a lot of money here. So so you don't learn how to fail in college. It's a very important skill because adulthood is filled with failure and it's filled with testing and it's filled with experimenting uh, much more so than college. So you have to learn how to uh, how to experiment and then fail and then come back and, and survive when you're an adult and you never learn it in college. Another thing is, you know, and this is just sounds kind of raw, but in the real world, you have to sell stuff like I have to I have to sell if I come up with an idea and I want people to fund it and then buy it and then build a business around it. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm an entrepreneur or working for a company. I have to be able to learn how to communicate and sell 
my ideas. And you don't learn anything about salesmanship in college. You don't learn anything about negotiation, which is just a basic fact of life. Like how many people get to a job and then they're afraid to ask their boss for a raise three years later? Nobody has taught us the basics of negotiation. Negotiation 101. They don't even teach it in business school, really. So that's another critical thing. You know, and the most, probably the most important life skill, uh, and they don't teach it. How to write. Uh, you know, in, in college, you're taught this very formulaic way of mm-hmm. writing essays and arguing essays. And it's not how people communicate and write at all in the real world. And you think about the real world now, it's all about writing. It's emails, it's Twitter updates, it's Facebook updates, it's blog posts, it's PowerPoints, it's presentations. So you have to learn how to communicate via the written word in order to survive. And they don't teach that in college at all. Now, you can argue with that. Oh, they, we're writing all the time in college, but not really. It's it's like college writing. It's not like real world writing. And then, you know, this is sort of tongue in cheek, but you know, you're not betrayed very much in college. Like, yeah, maybe your girlfriend cheats on you in college. But in the real world, you know, betrayal is like a fact of life. Like we're betrayed by our friends, our colleagues, our business partners, our wives, our husbands. You know, you have to learn how to be like slapped in the face hard by reality in in the real world. And college, there's just never any sense that bad things happen after you graduate here. And people don't know because there's no there's no incentive for professors to tell you that. Uh, yeah, that's that's a great point. College does not provide realistic expectations of the world because, like you said, it would burst their bubble and people would eject out immediately. Uh, God, that's interesting and very sad at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it is. But look, you have to learn all this stuff sooner or later. And unfortunately, in college, I did not at least learn these things. I didn't either. Another important thing is. You know, networking, like you mentioned how, you know, you only have one or zero friends, zero friends from college. I had one friend. I have one Facebook friend from college. Uh, you know, networking, my entire business network, which I will tell you right now has made me a lot of money uh, and I've done very well with my network. That's all been created, I want to say, in the past five or six years, maybe in some small cases you know, over the past 10, 15 years, but most of my 90% of my network is created over the past five or six years. I wish I had learned something about basic networking with people when I was in college, you know, you know, I learned nothing. Now we have all these tools though, like LinkedIn, Facebook, and so on for, for networking. And there's many resources to learn about networking through, through these websites but college is not one of them. Like you, you don't learn anything about how to, again, network in real life to your advantage. And you have a, this kind of diluted view that, oh, my frat brothers are going to be my network or my MBA pals are going to be my network. But that doesn't turn out to be true in reality. Uh, you're just sort of fooled into thinking that. Yes, and, I totally agree. You know, there's probably there's probably more. Like I think I've mentioned my own experience. I didn't learn how to. I majored and went to graduate school for computer programming, and I actually didn't learn how to program a computer that was good uh, good enough to function in the real world. So I didn't learn that. And you know, another thing is nobody teaches you. I mean, in very rare exceptions, uh, there's no courses on what it means to be happy. Like even in if you take psychology, most schools is very statistically oriented. But if you ask somebody, what does it mean to be successful or what does it mean to be happy? Most people don't know how to answer that uh, when they're very young. And so they think things like, well, money or if I achieve 
fame or if I achieve some like, you know, huge rank or title in my job, uh, that will make me happy and successful. But there's no courses that teach you whether that's right or wrong. And this is maybe the most important question in life. Like we just want to be happy and we're kind of deluded into thinking, oh, well, since people went to college for the past 100 years out of 400,000 years of human evolution, going to college must be related to happiness. But it's just not true. And you learn this the hard way as an adult. Yes, you do. All right. Let's uh, switch up a little bit. We're getting towards the end here. Um, Let's give some real world practical alternatives to uh, college as if you have an auditorium full of 18 year olds literally with their bags packed and their parents outside ready to take them to college. What can they do instead? Okay, that's obviously a very important question because, you know, I think the biggest fear parents have is that their kids are just going to turn out to be losers if they don't go to college. They're going to sit around in the in their rooms and watch TV and do nothing, which kids kids won't do that because kids at age 18 have a huge amount of energy. So they want to do something and they're programmed into believing they want to go to college or they have to go to college. So they need some alternatives. So. The first one is is what I mentioned before, start a business. Now, again, this doesn't mean everyone's an entrepreneur. I'm just saying start a business is a great way to learn all these basic things that you don't learn in college. And, you know, whoops, you might actually make millions of dollars also if you start a business. Like I think, again, of this uh, woman, Michelle Phan, she just did started doing makeup videos on YouTube and now she's going to have 20 million in sales this year. She's 24, 25 years old. So now that's one example. Not every, that's an anecdote. So of course we could find anecdotes of people who started businesses and, and failed. Um, but I would argue those people will have learned something by the age of 22 that I didn't learn until the age of 40 or, or maybe I still haven't learned yet. So that's one very viable alternative is start a business and just brainstorm every day on businesses you can start, read all about entrepreneurs, read all about basic businesses you could start with almost no money, and you know, go at it, give it a try. Give it a try for three months, uh, see what happens. So that's one, that's one alternative. Um, you know, worst case is if you try that, you'll fail, and then you're gonna learn a lot faster than anyone else how to fail. Another ex- thing you can do, travel the world. Now, people will say, oh, this is BS. You need money to travel the world. Well, figure out a way to travel the world with with no money or little money. And you certainly don't need, you know, $100,000 to travel the world. I could tell you that from experience. So, uh, you know, you'll, you'll meet people your age. You'll learn about culture. You'll learn about history. You'll learn about being in situations that you're uncomfortable in. You know, why should you go to college where you're just going to be around people of the exact same demographic that you've been around with for the past 12 years. Why spend another four years with them? Travel the world and be around different people. Another alternative, and I personally love this alternative, but make people laugh. Go every day for a year to open mic night at your local stand-up comedy club and try to make people laugh. And that's going to be a huge learning experience. And you'll make friends, you'll meet people, and you'll probably get a lot smarter along the way because it's such a vital thing. And as we mentioned before, people forget how to do it. So this will keep you in the mode when most people are losing that ability to laugh, you'll still be laughing. Another thing, work at a charity. 
everybody, okay, you don't have to start a business. Why don't you actually help people for a year and see what that's like? You know, all these people who want to go be doctors, none of them have actually, you know, done charity work in a hospital. Uh, if, if any of my kids wanted to be a doctor, I would say, okay, first work for a year changing bedpans in a hospital and then come back and tell me if you want to be a doctor. If you do, we'll figure it out somehow because you have to have an MD or, or some degree to, to be a doctor. But you may decide after, you know, changing people's diapers for a year or two years that this is not the thing for you. And, you know, again, charity, you learn a lot more about yourself and you're helping people at the same time. So you feel good about yourself and good about what you're doing. And then, you know, that's a reasonable alternative. You know, what I tell what I what I tell my kids is that they're going to get a series of challenges. So, for instance, one challenge might be um, get a million subscribers on YouTube and then maybe we'll consider or, or maybe I'll figure out how to, you know, support you if what you really want to do, then it's go to college. And the purpose of or, or, or start a business that has 10,000 a month in revenues or uh, write a book that has a thousand sales on Amazon. Uh, the purpose of these challenges is not necessarily to get them to succeed, but along the way, if they do these challenges, a they they're going to learn a huge, huge amount about the real world, and b if they succeed at the challenge, if one of my kids gets a million subscribers, say on YouTube or Instagram or wherever, uh, she's probably not going to want to go to college at that point because she's she's going to have learned so much about. You know, whatever it is she's pursuing and she and she's going to have so much success under her belt that she's probably not even going to want to go to college at that point. So think of all these. And I, I have a list of like 10 or 20 challenges. We can we can send this out to the podcast subscribers. That'd be but, great. Yeah, well, we'll put together something for anybody who writes to James at Stansbury Radio dot com. Do podcast education subscriber, and we'll put together a package to to send to you. Uh, leave your email address and say that you opt in for the for this package, and we'll we'll figure out how to send you something. But come up with these challenges for your kids uh, that are going to be a lot more valuable than going to college, and actually will potentially make them incredibly wealthy. So, and I could think of a million anecdotes, not just two or three, but like probably at least two hundred anecdotes of people who did this. So. That, those are just some of the alternatives. I could keep going on. I mean, there's there's many. Yeah, almost well, anything you could possibly do and put time into is better than going to college. Yeah, and look, uh, you know, today is different than when you and I went to college because uh, they have this thing. It's called the internet. And the Internet is an amazing resource. And like you said, there are, kids are really into social media. So YouTube, Facebook, uh, you know what one of the most booming industries out there right now is advertising on Facebook. So I know a lot of younger kids are way more savvy than adults are. And uh, they're not really teaching social media in um, college, especially when it comes to like direct response marketing. So copywriting, any uh, anything related to, um, you know, writing at a sixth grade level, communicating, like you said, um, you know, learn, learn about investing. You don't they, even you're not going to be taught that called investing 101 in college. You, I've taken them. You don't learn anything. You don't learn, so learn anything about investing a, through apprenticeship. Uh you know, rather than go to college. The apprenticeship thing is huge because if you if you weren't graduating college at 22 and you had four years and you could convince your parents, which actually is my next question for you. But if you could convince your parents that you were going to do internships at four different companies, 
uh, six months each over the next two years. And even if you didn't stay at those for six months because you either moved on or maybe you took a permanent position and you said, look, I'm willing to work for free almost assuredly with good work ethic and a desire to learn, you'll earn a spot in the company and you'll actually, I would argue that you'll succeed and go higher up than a college kid coming in that had little drive and never appreciated the company or the culture itself. There are Uh, thousands of things to do. Totally true. And you know, I will say maybe this is most important instead of going to college, get an education so to your point, Aaron, we now have something called the Internet. And I'll give you an example. A few months ago, I took a course that was offered for free online on a website called Coursera.com. And I learned more, and it was called A Brief History of Humankind. I learned more from that course than any course I ever took in college. There's thousands and thousands of free, really intense courses, complete with homework, reading materials, videos, community, and so on. There's thousands of courses you could take. For instance, the entire MIT curriculum is online for free. Uh, so, so if you don't want to spend the $200,000 to go to MIT, no problem. Take MIT for free. You won't get the piece of paper, but you'll have all the value and maybe more. So again, it's not like you're not, I'm saying don't get an education. You can still get an education. I'm just saying don't flush your money down the toilet. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I I saw a uh, something today that was a video game where in order to succeed in a video game, you had to learn the basic programming language of doing JavaScripts, right? So I thought that was just a genius way to get more people to kind of dip their toe in the water to see if they like these type of things. But there are thousands of apps, thousands of everything. And that's the great thing. If you can convince your parents that you're going to find this passion, the skill set, something, and you're going to, you're going to commit to them of actually, you know, going out and finding these jobs, even if it's working for free and putting your heart into them, then I think that they'll buy into it. But that's the question I want to ask you, James, is how do you convince two parents that believe that going to college is absolutely the right thing? By the way, I talked to a lot of my friends who are, uh, you know, their parents and they have kids that are, you know, 15, 16. And I tell them, look, college is a complete waste of time and money. And I know how hard these people work. And, you know, that's not even to account for the fact that the dollar has lost 96% of its value because of uh, the Federal Reserve. That's another topic. But, you know, the, the dollar doesn't go anywhere these days. And meanwhile, you know, tuition sky high, as you talked about earlier, they'd be so much better off not throwing all of their retirement away on their students' education that's going to come out with uh, something that's more than worthless. And uh, so what do you do, James? Sit well, sit down, parents. How do you get them to do this? Well, to, to start off with, probably 60 or 70 percent will just automatically say, you are crazy. Uh, I went to college and I'm doing fine. So of course my kid's going to do co- go to college. Or they might say, I didn't go to college. So, you know, there's this big cultural myth that if you're the first person in your family to go to college, that's some great achievement. So again, it's all part of this American religion that college is great. And 
the government will never say anything against this because they back a trillion dollars in student loans. So they're making money. They're laughing all the way to the bank. So, you know, at the expense of our 18 year old children. So for, for most parents, you just can't convince them because they have too much of a cognitive bias against it. I would say 10 percent of parents probably agree more or less agree with me maybe they not agree with everything but more or less agree conceptually and then there, maybe there's like uh you know 25 30 percent who uh uh are on the fence they don't know and they're scared they're scared because they realize they don't want to spend this kind of money because it's it's pretty scary for either themselves or for their kids to get into this kind of debt and spend this kind of money and they're also scared for their kids on the other side of the fence which is uh, they don't want their kids to be losers. They think because of the American religion, kids who don't go to college are called losers or failures or, or, you know, they don't get good jobs later. So they're afraid for their kids. They don't want to ruin their kids' lives in the last decision they have to make for their kids. So, and to those parents, I would say your kids are going to be okay. They're going to have a five year head start on all of their peers and they're not going to be in debt. And they're going to have just as much opportunity going forward in this amazing future we live in um, as any other kid. Like, I'm not as pessimistic on America as many people are. I'm very optimistic that because of technologies like the Internet, there are so many opportunities open to kids today that weren't open to me or you or to most kids' parents because you can get an education for free now. You can build businesses for almost no money. You can try so many different careers now without wasting such an important part of your life and wasting all that money and all that opportunity cost. Why put, and, and again, parents, very important to realize it's different now. Tuitions have gone up more than inflation. As I said before, more than inflation for almost 40 years in a row. That's a different world than when you and I went to college. And it's important to respect all these differences because they add up to one decision, which is don't automatically send your kid to college. At least consider the alternatives for your sake and for your kid's sake. That's great, James. I think it's excellent advice. Um, it'd be great if you could put together uh, that report. We could send it out to all the listeners, and I'm sure that they'll enjoy it. And I would love to hear stories from the listeners out there that have actually had these conversations with their parents. You can send them to james at stansberryradio.com. Yeah, or even I, I, parents out there. I would love to hear the pros and cons. Yeah, send in all of your arguments for and against. Uh, I'm going, I have a book out there called 40 Alternatives to College. Don't buy that book because I'm going to update it and you'll get it for free if you write in. Uh, and so I'll, I'll be updating it within the next week or so, but write in now as soon as you, as soon as you hear this and we'll get something out to you. But I want to hear the stories because this is so important right now. Like right now, this week, Kids are being accepted or rejected from college. This is when you're going to be making the decision. So you need to really think about it. I mean, I just read about one kid that got accepted to all, all of the Ivy League schools and he's really proud and, and so on. And what should he do? He should say no to all of them. That would be the best thing in the world if that's the next article I read. But I bet you that I won't be reading that.
Yeah, that's great, James. So for the listeners out there, please uh, send James at StansburyRadio.com. And in the subject line, just put college. And uh, when James has that ready, we'll deliver to you in a week or so. Uh, James, excellent. I love the breakdown. It was uh, very enjoyable for me. You've armed me with more information so that now I can go back to these struggling mothers that are debating on what to do with their kids and give them the other side of the argument. I'm going to send them the ebook as well. Very good. And you're, you're a good devil's advocate. So you, you put up some, some tough questions. Well, I did my best. Thanks, James. And uh, looking forward to the next podcast. You know, we've been a little delayed on our Ask Altitures. We've had a couple of technical hiccups, but it's looking like that's all going to be resolved soon. So uh, I'm excited to get those launched as well. Excellent. Thanks, Aaron. Hi, right, James. See you, Bye. See you soon. James, I have a special interruption to make to this podcast This is after the fact that we recorded the hour or so long of why you shouldn't go to college. Of course, I played the skeptic. Well, our senior producer, David, he has a son in college right now, and he listens to the shows. He edits the shows. He let his son listen to the show. Well, he didn't let him. He encouraged him to listen to the show. And uh, his son posed a very good question that required me to come back to you to tack on this question at the end of the recording. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. He says, look, I'm a sophomore right now. Uh, I'm in college. You encouraged me to go to college. Now I'm thinking about not going to college anymore. What should I do? You know, it's a great question because, you know, I've normally aimed this discussion to either people trying to make the decision whether or not to go to college or to parents trying to make the decision whether to encourage and or pay for their kids to go to college. And so it's a good question. There's, I don't know how many people are in college, 5 million, 10 million. I don't know offhand how many kids are in college. But so, so there's two answers. One is you can take the hardcore view, which is, okay, you just spent two years there. Uh, why don't you take a year or two off or why don't you just quit? Okay. But, but look, don't go hardcore. Take a year or two off and try some of these alternatives that I suggest. Try traveling around or starting a business, or interning for a business, or interning for a hospital, or an engineering firm, or whatever it is you want to do, or becoming an artist, or writing a book. There's so many different choices you could do and try. And, you know, life is very long. So if you take a year right now, it's not going to cost you anything. If anything, you're going to, you're honestly going to gain. And, you know, and, and this is true not only now, but you could take 20 years off and then go back to college if you want. Like I didn't, my career has changed so many times in the past 25 years. It's probably about 15 different times I've changed careers, which could mean I'm a total screw up or, but I've had a fun time and I've had an interesting life and I'm not dead yet. So it's probably going to change uh, another 20 times in the next 30 or 40 years. So So on the one hand, you can leave. On the other hand, if you're enjoying college, you've got it paid for, you you feel like you're aiming towards a career that you love and enjoy, I I don't know. I don't necessarily say drop out because you have all your friends there. It seems kind of extreme. But start trying to learn things on the side. Because, again, as I mentioned, even when I was fascinated and loved computers in college, it didn't really help me when I became a computer programmer in, quote unquote, the outside world or the real world. And, you know, 
things are very different outside of college. In college, you're so used to the same kids, basically, that you grew up with. Like, it's not like your whole... You, you just change locations. You moved out of your parents' house in most cases. But it's not like you're, the people are any different. You're still hanging out with the same demographic you went to school for the past 12 years with. So I do encourage people to see what it's like outside college so you can at least compare. Take a semester off. It won't kill you. You're free. Understand what it's like to be free for a little while for the first time since you were five years old. So I'm going to read you a, a quote. So last week or the week before, depending on whenever this airs, uh, we had Tom Shadiak on the show and we were talking about his book, Life's Operating Manual. So I'm, I'm going to I have a quote from there, which I remembered, uh, but I, I found it just now. Uh, a recent MSNBC report revealed 50 percent of college students have at one point considered suicide. That's 50%. Half of our best and brightest entertain the thought of killing themselves. And, you know, to some extent, college is a little bit too much stress because you're, you're still under the delusion that if you don't get good grades, you might fail in life. And, you know, quite frankly, the courses are probably harder than in high school. And it's just not true. So you have this artificial stress that's placed on you. And on top of that, this enormous debt. So if you're 20 years old, you're listening to this, you're in college, do yourself a favor, take a break, taste freedom. Just drink from that cup of freedom just a tiny little bit to see what it would be like. And then you can decide whether or not I'm full of crap or not. But, uh, you know, for, for David's son, I hope you're listening to this and uh, uh, I hope you uh, take a little bit of a break or at least take a step back and figure out what you want to do. Great advice. Thank you so much, James. Thanks, Aaron. I have two daughters who are getting close to college age and I really don't want them to ruin their lives. I'm really scared about it. For an 18-year-old to make a decision that's going to put them tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt before they even know what they want to do, to waste four of the most critical years of their lives studying out of textbooks instead of experiencing, creating, and innovating in the most valuable years of their lives. In my new book, which I'm releasing only here, 50 Alternatives to College, it's an ebook. I give 50 choices I think are better than college, where it will make my daughters or any kids more happier, more fulfilled, and most importantly, because I'm totally selfish, they will thank me and love me in the end. So go to www.50alternatives, that's 50alternativestocollege.com to get this free book. That's www.50alternativestocollege.com, and the 50 is the numbers 50, www.50alternativestocollege.com. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today.
You can make money the hard way becoming a bullfighter or save money the easy way with Xfinity Mobile. It sure beats making money as a human cannonball. Now through March 21st, learn how existing Xfinity customers can get a free line of unlimited intro for a year when they buy one unlimited line. That's hundreds of dollars in savings on your wireless bill. Visit XfinityMobile.com today. Restrictions apply. Xfinity Mobile requires Xfinity Internet. Reduce speeds after 20 gigabytes of usage per line. Data thresholds may vary.